All right, Charlie, lesson's over for today. You were going to teach me how to fight. You have to learn to protect yourself in the fall before I do that. And it's more than just teaching you how to defend yourself. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast, Give Me That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 51 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today we're talking about Kirk Fu, uh, that very peculiar martial art developed by William Shatner and whoever you know, worked on the action on Star Trek, the original series, and that has since made its way into other series, specifically Lower Decks. Is it a viable combat style or is it irredeemably silly? To tackle the topic, I've invited a true blue personal combat instructor, my friend Jared Albrecht, who you might uh, know from the Longbox Crusade family of podcasts. Welcome to the show, Jared. Well, thank you for having me here, Siskoid. Uh, I love what you've done with the dojo. It's very peaceful and harmonious. Your kimono looks good. Uh, it, we were supposed to wear geese, but you wore a kimono, which is weird, but I still think it looks nice. Uh, well, it's softer on my uh, groin area. <laughs> also... Please don't break the sign. The sign has been broken <laughs> twice already, and it just gets me into trouble. I actually get that reference. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. It, I, I do a lot of podcasting, but I don't know the last time that my combat self-defense came into it. Maybe occasionally on Action Film Face-Off, but like just, just to do this purely through the eyes of Captain Kirk is very exciting. Uh, but you were here before. We talked about uh, Cisco's leadership style, and this is also something you teach, leadership and Yes. So you, you give combat training. Is it just for the military or do you teach civilians as well? What's the... Mainly civilians, actually. Okay. I teach a, a class here in town at a fitness center. And I think I've only had like one guy from the nearby military base take the class. I'll be honest with you. Every time I've taught the class, because I've taught it in different states as I've moved around, I almost inevitably get a 90% female class. Uh, females... Uh, tend to really want to take this class, which is really good because it really, you know, teaches them how to protect themselves. And we do it holistically too. We don't just do the the hands-on combat. We talk about how to stay out of dangerous situations, like when you're traveling abroad and stuff like that. How to make yourself less noticeable, all that stuff. So uh, it's it's very holistic. Basically, we call the class fight avoidance, how to oh. stay out of combat. And then, then you know, the meat and potatoes is if you're forced into it, that's where we start. You know, throwing each other around and laying hands and whap, whap, whap and all that jazz. Do you have a belt in any of the, the martial arts styles or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I the uh, the one I learned, which is really difficult to, to pronounce, it's called, <laughs> I'm going to try it myself. It's been a while since I said it. Ryu Ryushi Bujutsukai. That was just the style that my teacher uh, had learned. And he had taken it and turned it into a more viable street fight combat, like realistic combat. That's where I started taking those classes from him, and that's when he started calling it fight avoidance or just combat self-defense. And I really liked his class because it was super practical, 
like we'd go through, a, learn a couple of new moves in the first part of the class. And this is how I model my class as well. And then the second part of the class, we take audience suggestion, basically, like what situation scares you? Oh. I don't like it if someone's got me in this corner. I don't like if someone's got me by this hold. And then we practically work through how to break that. And uh, and get away like a, a laboratory setting. As, yes, is what I call it. Yeah, super practical. You know, oh, I'm I, I'm afraid someone's going to come up and start choking me from behind. Okay, I can teach you the defense for that. And then for the next thirty minutes, we'll all work on that defense That's type of a deal. Kind of how I teach improv. Uh, so it's very similar. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. How do you defend yourself against? So, I mean, it's, it's the same, but with wits, you know. <laughs> I got you. I got you. So you're used to looking at combat situations or dangerous situations and how people can maneuver to get mm -hmm. out of them or to defend themselves. Now we're going to talk about what they did on Star Trek. <laughs> as far as this goes, the idea is to look at what people have called Kirkfu uh, and evaluate the effectiveness of its moves in the real world, maybe detect the influences from what real martial arts it may have derived from over the centuries, because this is a future style, <laughs> or perhaps we'll deem it completely, not like it's complete hogwash, maybe. <laughs> this is perfect, perfect timing for me, too. I just took my, my 13-year-old, well, he's 14 now, but at the time, he was 13-year-old son, through all the original Star Trek episodes. Oh. And definitely one of the things he would he keyed in on, probably because he's also taking some of my classes, is he'd be like, Dad, wh what was that? <laughs> what was that move that Kirk just did? <laughs> and uh, we'd laugh. So, like, a lot of these were already fresh on my mind just from watching it with my son. Yeah, especially, like, a kid today who would be exposed to a lot of uh, current-day television and movies where the the fighting, like, all those super, superhero Uh, shows, you know, mm -hmm. the fighting is mm -hmm. actually quite involved and it looks striking. Uh, right. And um, stunt directors back in the day or on, on a, you know, on a TV show like this might not have had, there's no time to do this sort of thing or train right. the actor to, to do much more. You know, they were also limited in editing and, and, and filming it. So mm -hmm. this is what Shatner came up with or his fight arranger. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it is interesting and it is very specific to him. I'm sure if we watch a lot of TV from the day, we kind of yeah. see that kind of stuff, especially some of the moves are, are TV tropes. But let's look at these moves and in Longbox Crusade fashion, I'll ask Jared to mark them on a scale of zero to five karate chops. Zero being, of course, <laughs> impossible, ineffectual. If you tried this in real life, <laughs> you'd be dead. And five being, hey, you know what? This would actually work in the real world. Okay. I'm down for this. Not only work, but drop the guy. Drop the Gorn in real life. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some moves that come up a lot. So I'm sort of doing them almost in order of occurrence. And we'll describe them briefly, obviously. You can look online. If you if you type in Kirk Fu on Google, you'll find montages of, of these kinds of moves. People laughing at them. Uh, much as we will. But uh, the, the very first one, the one that he uses probably the most, and the one that's most used on TV anyway, is what I'm calling the Kirk Chop. Uh, and the Kirk Chop is simply the karate chop to the neck. It's usually back of the neck, side of the neck, and that usually 
seems to hurt the opponent. So what do we think of the Kirk chop? Well, first of all, Cisco, I like to have my Kirk chops grilled with a side of applesauce, really, if I if I can. Yeah, but you're on an alien planet. There's, you know, uh, no apples. <laughs> I might have gotten it confused with pork chop. Never mind. Anyway, let's talk about the Kirk chop. So what it really is, you know, it's a it's a open hand, stiff hand. Uh, some people refer to it as a knife hand. It's the typical, like you said, the typical Kung Fu chop that you, you'd see in and some kung fu movies, especially of this era, it's a viable technique. It certainly is, especially if it's well-placed. And I will give Kirk credit that a lot of times it happens in the neck and throat area, which is the ideal spot for a chop like that. He oftentimes will be going for the, I think that's the carteroid artery, or if you if you strike it and disrupt it enough, it'll really, because that's the one, the, the blood that feeds your brain. Right. It will really disrupt that, or better still, uh, the ideal target, and they don't really show this on TV much for good reason. They don't want kids to do it. Would be a direct chop to the um, Adam's apple region, which actually can kill somebody. But you know, if you're in a terrible situation, like in the classes I teach with with generally my ladies, like you said, it's ninety percent female. Uh, yeah, you absolutely strike for the throat because your life's on the line. So uh, this one, not bad. He could work on his technique. It's a little loosey goosey. It's a little uh, slappy. Little yeah, slappy. I mean, it's <laughs> clearly he's trying not to hurt his co-star, <laughs> I guess. But the concept of the knife hand strike, or as we will call it, the Kirk chop to the neck and throat area, totally valid. Okay, so this one on a scale of zero to five karate chops, I would say as the move itself is absolutely valid at a five with Kirk's technique. We'll drag it down to, let's say a three or a four. Okay. <laughs> but again, he's clearly trying not to hurt his co-star. So that's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's a sort of, to me, it's like, it's always the neck because it's, it's like mm. uh, maybe in the Star Trek universe, people have, you know, it's like the nerve pinch. Yes. It's all very neck based. Yeah. Maybe people have like clusters of nerves in their necks. I gotta say, I believe we have seen Kirk, Kirk chop to the chest and to the lower back, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm like, what are you, at that point, you're giving a guy a massage, really. <laughs> um, well, some of the moves are very much in that vein. <laughs> now, the, the other, the, this one, it's like, you don't want to hurt your co-star. Uh, and this one, it seems reserved maybe for female opponents, maybe. But uh, there's something I call the stealth punch. And this is when Kirk doesn't seem to have any momentum to his fist. It's the one-inch punch. Like, his fist is right there next to your face. He goes, and that knocks out the person. So it's uh, you don't see it coming because there's no there's no lead up to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we think of the stealth punch? Is this even possible if you're not Bruce Lee? If you're not Bruce Lee, it's really hard to pull off. Um, okay, the stealth punch. Like it's like you told your audience, you should totally go look it up. I know Cisco had sent me a video to watch of like the top ten Kirk moves from oh, what's the name of that site that does a thousand of those top ten moves videos? Yeah. That. You know, the type top 10 Kirk moves into YouTube and you'll find it. So you get a good visual. And basically the sample they use is like he kisses this girl to distract her and then whap, knocks her out from, like you said, fist is maybe maybe six or eight inches away. Again, clearly trying not to hurt his co-star. He's not putting much behind it. So. All right. Yeah. In order for a punch to be powerful to the level, it's going to knock somebody out. You really need to have a bit of hip and shoulder movement. Uh, all power from punches really comes from your hips and your shoulders and he clearly doesn't have that so you know the way it was delivered in the video we watched it would really probably just piss her off <laughs> She'd be like what the, what the hell is wrong with you but yeah 
is it possible? Sure. Um, I could, I could teach you, teach you how to do a good solid strike with that much distance. But again, I'm going to go back to what we did with the Kirk chop. His technique is lacking. There is no, no hip or shoulder uh, movement in it. He's using pure arm strength and it's yeah, wrist like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, pretty much wrist. Yeah. Good point. And it's, it's dang near impossible to really hurt anybody with your source of your punch being your arm. Again, it has to be shoulder from hip to shoulder for a good uh, contact. Okay. So if, if, if somehow you could pivot using those parts of your body as a lever, mm-hmm. then yeah. Yeah. You, what you should have seen for it to be truly effective was a torso twist involved. Right. Like He-Man. <laughs> exactly very good like point. the he-man toy you, you got it <laughs> you got it and is this how bruce lee did it or was it it's almost a legend the bruce lee punch the mm-hmm. one inch punch yeah but... yeah he's he's very subtly it's it's hard to watch because because it, it is such a small movement but he's very subtly twisting his hips and torso because that's where all the power comes from it, it's it's almost um imperceptible how fast he's doing it and how tightly he's doing it but that is where all the energy is coming from it's not coming from his arm it's coming from a body twist okay that's what he's doing and you know he just honed his craft and and focused his chi quite a bit which is uh, you know martial arts uh, heavy speak but i i also do believe that i've seen many examples of focused chi uh, being able to, being able to let the body do amazing things yeah he cranks himself up somehow mm-hmm. it's like yeah yeah the power is like like somehow potential and then and released or something. Yes, it's, it's incredible. I've I've seen it and I've used it personally and to great effect. And it's it it blows me away every time I see it. But Kirk is not focused. <laughs> but yeah, yes. Kirk, uh, the stealth punch. How many karate chops do we give this? It's going to be on the low end. Yeah, yeah. Can it be done? Sure. So I won't give it a, a zero. Uh, I would, you know, probably about a two. And then with Kirk's uh, technique, once again, we've got to bring it down to a one. But we will also pay respect to William Shatner, trying to probably not knock out his lovely lady. Yeah, I, I believe there's no contact on that one. It's, there's no Right. I think he goes pretty strongly misses to the left on the video we watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty strongly. All right. The other fist action is um, the double fist. Now, Ooh, classic. <laughs> some of these uh, sound kind of rude, but... the. <laughs> The double. Don't, don't Google these terms by themselves. None, none of them. Uh, the double fist is when it's, it's basically a volleyball move. Yes. So he puts his two hands, clasps his hands together, or he puts his fists together, and he's hitting with both fists at once. Swinging usually lower back is a good place, but he's done it almost anywhere. What do we think of the double fist? I think the double fist is a classic, looks good in cinema move. I have. Never found a use for it in real life. So no thank you to Double Fist. All it does is really limit what we talked about before. It limits you being able to focus your energy in one direction because you're essentially using it in two directions uh, or at least being distracted by one. It's, it's, you know, your most powerful punches are in a direct, powerful anything. Your most powerful strikes, I should say, are in a direct, straight and powerful line. And all that Double Fist thing does is force you to use an arc. Instead of a straight line, you don't want to use an arc. You want to use a straight line. It's one of those things that kind of plays well on film. And I believe the little sample video that we watched for prep for this, they even said, well, two is better than one, right? Two fists is always better than one fist. And it's like, no, no, the other one really just detracts from your speed and your power. So if there's anybody out there that's using a double fist in martial arts, I need to know about it because I've never seen it used to any effect. I've never seen it in a style. You know, it's not part of right. any style that I've ever seen in, in movies. And I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of kung fu cinema 
mm-hmm. from every country, basically. So I've never seen it. You know, maybe like a real big, powerful guy might use it as, you know, to strike down on you from above when you're already right. kind of hunched or something. But Yes, uh, excellent point. If you use it as what's called a hammer strike, which is exactly what you're talking about, from a top-down you know, maybe you're looking up and he's towering over you and he's going to smash you on the nose or maybe even hit you as hard as he can on the crown of your head. Okay, I'll allow it. But aside from that, I, I, even when I do hammer strikes, I do single-handed hammer strikes. I don't do double hands. Yeah. So. And, and certainly that's not what Kirk is doing. He's, he's using it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, like I said, it, it films well. It, it looks like there's really big things happening, but it's, it's yeah. Oh, so what's the Karate Chop score here? Karate Chop score... Yeah, I'm going to give it just a one. Like I said, we found one specific case as sort of a double hammer strike. If you're sort of finishing off your opponent, I guess it would work. But other than that, don't bother with the double double fist strike. It's a one, but when Kirk does it, it's like a zero. <laughs> Actually, for this case, it's weirdly when Kirk does it, it's a four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's his, it's his go-to, I, I got to say. It is one of his go-tos. Yeah. Another hand strike that he uses a number of times, famously on the Gorn, is... The ear slap. So this is a this is exactly what it sounds like. He uh, especially to get out of a hole. That's how we see it. He's very close to the person or the lizard, and he clasps both hands, you know, to the two sides of the opponent's head to make him release the hold. Or that would work, right? Something like that would kind of work. Hundred percent. Yes. Uh, you know, you might have heard of the term. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna box his ears. It's the same thing. Okay, yeah. Boxing of the ears, the ear slap. Have you ever had your ears boxed? Oh, I'm not. I haven't been many fights. Uh, <laughs> I. I mean, even like just by accident, like just something that maybe a ball struck you in the ear or whatever. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. I I don't remember to what level you edit, so I'll keep my language clean. It hurts like an mf'er. <laughs> it hurts bad, and to to someone to forcibly do it because it's all about. It's not so much about physical strike as it is air pressure if you take the flats of your hand and smack both the ear canals on someone the air pressure goes through there and it just shoots tremendous amounts of pain in through your ear holes there it's awful and yes if someone is like bear hugging you like that and your arms are free and you can box your ears i do teach that technique absolutely yeah box their ears and it will I mean, it'll throw off their balance because, you know, your inner ear gets affected. It's extremely painful. Good chance that they're going to let you go if you go to solid ear box. I mean, you could potentially cause them to lose their hearing, you know, for life. Oh, uh, yeah, you could. Uh, yeah, you could burst their eardrums. So, yes. so are you saying that this must be done to both ears at the same time or just b- boxing one ear is, is? You can box one ear and it will hurt like an, like an SOB. <clears throat> if you box both ears with tremendous force you're kind of that there's a really good chance that person's going to go to the ground it hurts that bad. i certainly would because i'm also part of that like at my age i'm part of that large percentage of people whose inner ear crystals get dislodged so i get the spins and oh. yeah like 50 percent of the population this will happen to them somewhere in their middle age to later age like like um. even if it didn't hurt i couldn't keep my balance after that Yes, and that is definitely a good reason to do it. So, yeah, the boxing of the ears, the ear slap, absolutely legit, sir. And Kirk does it well? He does. I mean, it's hard to say he on does. the Gorn because the Gorn doesn't have visible ears or anything. Yeah, well, the Gorn actually kind of helps him be able to sell the move because if he was doing it to a person without makeup, he would definitely need to hold back because, mm. I mean, even the slightest little clap will hurt. 
So, but with the Gorn, he's wearing, you know, clearly a, a mask. They didn't have a real Gorn at the time. No, it's just... <laughs> he can smack those ear holes as hard as he wants, and it's not going to actually hurt the actor. So he actually sells that one pretty well. You know, the real risk he took there was assuming that Gorn ear technology or biology, I should say, is the same as human. It could have had zero effect for all we know. It could have been like his alternate breathing holes for all we know. But luckily for Kirk, they he did have ear holes similar to human physiology, and he delivered a really good and powerful strike. So look for a lot of chops on this one, my friend. A lot of okay, well, I'm looking. How many chops does this get? I'm going to give it the full five. It's okay. an effective move, and when he did it against the Gorn, he did it very effectively. Again, the benefit of it being some sort of a helmet or prosthetic and, and not having to worry about hurting the guy inside. Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem too hard to, to master either no. for, like, if you're in, in a bad spot of trouble. Absolutely. Like I said, I teach this to, to my, my lady combatants on the regular. All right. Let's, uh, let's leave the hands and go below. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, this is where the podcast gets exciting, clearly. Uh, yeah, well, the the dropkick is mm. one of the famous ones, mm-hmm. uh, where he will engineer it so that he jumps, basically jumps on a person's chest, mm-hmm. kicks with both feet, or maybe just one feet, but he, he usually lands uh, prone on his back mm-hmm. after this, which is why we call it the dropkick, right? right. That's, so this seems dangerous. <laughs> Your instincts serve you well. So not not something to try. No, this looks great in a wrestling ring uh, with the WWE and all that. Uh, there's a strict rule. Never, ever, ever give up your footing. Your footing is everything in combat. So just he's just basically saying, screw my footing. I'm going to do something that looks cool. Two fists to the chest. You're both going to end up on the ground. I mean, if the strike is done really well and it's it's really powerful, sure, it could incapacitate your opponent there. But then you have to have time to get back up and reset and start making good uses of your attacks or your getaways again. And, oh, by the way, you basically just had to jump about four feet to five feet in the air. So you just took a four or five foot fall. There's a good chance you could break your wrist or crack a hip or something. So it's risk versus reward. It's just not there. And you're giving up your footing, which is something you never want to do. So... Thumbs down on a drop kick. Now, when Kirk does it, it looks wonderful. Well, there's a reason he doesn't do it in the movies. Uh, yeah, he's not a young probably. man anymore. <laughs> <laughs> drop kicking is for the young. Yeah, because you don't want to be prone. Like when you see kung fu fighting where, you know, there, there's a lot of kicking, uh, like northern styles. You know, the person lands back on their feet is the thing. Yes. <laughs> so this is the mistake he makes here. So uh, so this is going to be very few chops, I imagine. Yeah, very few chops, yeah. I, I I can't recommend this move at all. I can't even really think of a good moment that it should be used. So I, I think I'm just going to give it the zero. With the, with the other strange effect of it gets a one when Kirk does it just because it looks cool to see him do that as a young man. But yeah, when you look at the cover of like a movie, like one of my very favorite movies, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and he's doing that sure. flying kick, there's a difference in technique. You can tell that once that, that foot hits that chest or face, that he's immediately ready to drop to his feet and not to his belly or back. So that's too much of a sacrifice that you're making. Yeah, way too much of a risk versus reward scenario. Yeah, don't, don't right. do a drop kick. Well, there seems to be reasons for him to do this, because in his style... There are a number of moves that he can then pull. Uh, one of these is the scissor move. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of scissoring, also not to be Googled. <laughs> Do not Google it. Yeah. 
So the, the, the scissor move is where he, uh, and, and we've seen him do it like he grabs something, like he doesn't have to be prone, but like grab on to some pipes or, uh, you know, the door frame, and then use your legs to grab the person, or he can do it from prone, a prone position, use his legs to bring down the person. It's a little bit, uh, I don't know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu-ish, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, in a way. Has he really given up? a position when he can then use that move is is it a trick (laughs) Mm. okay so when executed well this whole scissor legs uh, a technique is very viable this is a good one Um, his method of doing what i like to call the roger moore james bond of grabbing something overhead and (laughs) wrapping around swinging yeah it's a little wonky but okay let me put it this way this move works best in grappling Okay, when you're ground fighting, you want to be able to get the scissor legs around the neck and or arm so you can arm bar your opponent. You've probably seen people do that before where they got the legs wrapped around the dude's neck and he's got like one arm sticking out from between him and he's ratcheting back on that arm about to break it. That's 100 percent legit. That is ground grappling technique. So when he does it from the ground and he wraps legs and pulls somebody down or if they're grappling and he manages to throw a leg up around the neck and sort of change the momentum, that's 100 percent legit. I teach that in class. In fact, mini lesson here, if you're the one laying on the ground on your back and the other person is in the mounted position on top of you, try not to giggle when I say mounted position. When the other person's on the, your attacker's on the mounted position, a lot of people think that the attacker has the power when actually the person on their back has the power. Because once you wrap legs, you have all the leverage in the world because you're on the ground. You've got a lot of strength to release because you have the, the ground has got your back. The guy on top, you just start throwing him around like a rag doll. So... When he does it from the ground, 100% legit. When he when he does it from the swinging motion, you kind of got to get lucky to make that happen. Once again, I'll refer to, to Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Jason Scott Lee actually does this in the alley fight behind the kitchen when he's fighting the chefs. Uh, I know you've seen it. <laughs> and he grabs the guy by the arm and jumps up, wraps the legs around the neck, and then uses his body weight to take the guy to the ground and continues to choke him and armbar him. Super cool and valid, but man, that takes tons of training to do. It's not something you're going to learn on day one. (laughs) So in summary, from the ground, yes, jumping up, you know, Roger Moore style or whatever. If if you can pull it off, sure. But it seems, again, risk versus reward. At least the one from the prone position is... It's like 80% of any MMA fight or something. Mm -hmm. So how many um, karate chops are we giving this? Uh, From the prone position, I will give this a a solid five. Super valid. Um, Trying to execute it from a standing or door frame swinging position, (laughs) I would not advise. I'd drop that all the way down to one. There's a lot of license taken here. Mm -hmm. The other thing that uh, Kirk has, has been seen to do from the prone position or by making himself prone is the bowling strike. Okay, so this one, he kind of rolls, not into a ball, he's not an armadillo or anything, but <laughs> you know, he, he rolls down to batter the legs of pursuers. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's what's happening. <laughs> and, and they fall. Mm-hmm. From the roll, he gets back up. You know, he's rolling. This one looks silly. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, it is. You may remember just moments ago, never give up your footing. Right. It's right. the risk versus reward. I'm going to go to the I'm going to intentionally go to the ground in an attempt to knock this person to the ground. This is never a wise strategy. No, because yeah, he see it seems to be part of his style, because when he's on the defensive, we're not really talking about those 
uniquely like dodging moves mm-hmm. but when he's dodging yes he's, there's a lot of jumping over someone like everybody's been like the fight's been arranged by the same person so <laughs> like everybody's kind of throwing themselves to the ground and he's jumping over and there's a lot of jumping yeah, a lot of jumping a lot of rolling in fact to this day when my son and i are watching you know we were watching a chuck norris movie the other day and he did a little roll like anytime someone does a roll like that well it's like a race for which one of us can yell kirk roll the <laughs> <laughs> the fastest. Yeah, I'll show you a shoulder roll. So, yeah, his I will say that he's done it so much that he rolls and tumbles really well. I mean, there I remember there was an episode of Star Trek where he was like practicing tumbling. Yeah, I'll show you a shoulder roll. He rolls and tumbles really well. He's good at it. So, really the only value in the whole Kirk roll or aka bowling strike is if you get thrown or like pushed from behind a surprise attack, it's good to know how to tumble you know, how to roll and and be able to not hurt yourself and use your momentum to get you back to your feet. Take the fall. Yes. And, yeah. Rolling has its place, but as an offensive maneuver, risk versus reward, it's not there. Rolling has its place. should be on a T-shirt. I... <laughs> it should. With a picture of Kirk, like, just rolling. They see him rolling. They hating. That's, that's what yeah. I was <laughs> I think we called it the bowling strike because in the video, it's yes. like he's, like, bowling a number – of people. And to his credit, he does put a lot of weight and momentum right into the knee area of somebody. And I mean, if you went whole hog on that, yeah, you could you could cause them to hyperflex that uh, and, you know, tear ACL or even break the knee. But again, risk versus reward. I'd much rather somebody do that with a with a downward foot strike from a standing position. How many karate chops? I, I for as an offensive maneuver, I'm going to give it flat out zero. Don't use it. Um as a tumbling uh maneuver. How many dinner rolls? Dinner roll. Yeah, for dinner rolls as a, as a sort of a defensive maneuver, as a tumbling maneuver, it's essential. So I'd say a four or a five, but as an offensive Kirk Fu attack, no, don't do that. Put that at a zero. And there's a, a variation on this uh, that uh, I call or that is called the human projectile. And uh, sometimes there's a wall assist. Sometimes there isn't, which is really like instead of striking with hands or feet, he hits people with his with his core. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just like, like I'm going to throw myself into somebody's arms and be on the horizontal and that's going to knock him over or that's going to... Really, the opponents often just look confused. <laughs> like they're more like disorganized right. after that attack. I, they're like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's you know because he's attacking those military men in the in the sixties mm-hmm. when they time travel, uh, and he does that move against like three army men. <laughs> <laughs> now, let, uh, let me flip this on to here. Uh, okay. That's good. Yeah, let me ask you something. What do you think the natural outcome would be if three soldiers were fighting the one dude and he just launches his body at the three soldiers? What 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 do you think is going to be the outcome there? Yeah, I don't think that would um Yeah. I don't think that would work. Uh, I think yes, it would work if the point was to befuddle them. <laughs> Like, they would go like, what? who is this jackass? Yes. What is happening? I mean, he's just throwing himself to the ground. You mm-hmm. just have to avoid it or push him down. And yeah, he's already I, I down. have a sneaky suspicion that the soldiers would just swat him to the ground and then just stomp him until he was no longer moving. I think <laughs> it was an Air Force base. So I don't know. Easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, this is this is bonkers. This is not. No, you did say not a move. You saved the best for last because definitely this one is. If any of these are worth going to watch a video, watch this one because they use the sample where he does full body leap, plant two feet on a wall, 
to sort of change his direction and then come down on an opponent full body style. Yeah. Which I remember when we saw it, when I was watching it with my son, we were like, okay, we got to rewind to watch that again. That was incredible. Which on film is so much fun to watch him make that move. But oh, you already know where this is going. This is horribly impractical. There is absolutely no reason to use this at all, ever. Even from the wall? I mean, when he jumps off the wall, that's a little bit... I don't know. It feels like there's more power to it. Like, when he's in the uh, Air Force base and he's just propelling himself from the floor, from a standing position, Mm -hmm. that just looks stupid. Yeah. Uh, From the wall... Oh, now. Oh, yeah. That wall bounce was... (laughs) It looked legit and it it was great. But no. Yeah, don't do that. And since I'm here and I've actually had this question asked to me several times... Let's go back to the Air Force Base. If you do find yourself in a two-on-one, three-on-one that you cannot avoid, I will tell you, here's some free free practical advice for your listeners. Always pick one of the three in this case. Lock with one and go at that person as hard as you possibly can. Oftentimes, if you go at them hard enough, you never know how what the mental state of the other people are. So the other guys might not necessarily want to be there or be in a fight. And if they see you going hard against that person, they might actually run away. And they can't always intervene because they don't want to hurt their friend. Exactly. It's hard to intervene when you're going full speed on somebody. And worst case scenario, if the other opponents do stick around and continue to fight, at the very minimum, if you've gone hard enough, fast enough, you've already eliminated one guy. And now it's two on one instead of three on one. So that's real practical combat advice while we're being silly here. But going back to the Kirk thing, this is an absolute zero point zero zero on the scale of you should never do this even if you've got an opportunity to do that sweet wall jump which looks gorgeous and is both awesome and hilarious at the same time can't recommend it in real life if you could give less than zero this one would get it this is the worst of the moves yeah this is probably the worst one on here as i as i revisit the list like i just i can envision certain scenarios for each one even some of the more outlandish ones like a bowling strike but this one, I'm just like, <laughs> you're basically like leaping into the void and saying like, whoop my ass, please. <laughs> it's not a bad exercise for theater kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I mean, no, it is a bad exercise. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. <laughs> the, the way to do it is you make yourself like a human bottle and you tip backwards. Right. And, and the, the troop, the other people catch you. The trust and fall. But the I trust know fall. That's it. That's it. It's a trust fall. It's a trust leap. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> and you're trusting your opponent. Who is trying to harm you? <laughs> but in, in, I mean, in the real world, he's yeah, trusting the stuntmen to catch him. Good point. Good point. Because it seems like a dangerous thing to do for your leading man. He could hurt, hurt himself or... Even when I saw him do it and it was like, holy crap, that is not his stunt. Like when he went off that wall, I was like, that is... That's Bill Shatner. <laughs> yeah. No, because you know when it's not him. Yes. You know, it's like when, when they do the switcheroo, like the fight mm-hmm. with Khan or the fight with Gary Mitchell. And, um, yes. And the, much of this style is developed in that very first episode where No Man Has Gone Before, the Chatner did, because he has a fight with Gary Mitchell and he uses a lot of the two-fisting and the, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the, the karate chops. That's kind of developed there. That's what... I don't know if it's like part of the stage fighting that Shatner was used to, or that's what he would have done in theater because he, he did a whole lot of theater. Anyway, it seems it's right there for, for mm-hmm. you to see in the first show. And then you're just developing that. So that's really my question now is all of these moves 
put together, calling them Kirk Fu or whatever. There is a uh, book I should mention. I do not own it, so we have not used it as uh, source material. But there is a fun little book where, you know, there's drawings of Kirk doing the moves. There's also a couple pages for Spock, but Spock Fu is just a nerf pinch. So, <laughs> and, and they give different names for these moves and they make it like it's real, you know, like a little guidebook, a little guide to that martial art. If we do say that this is what they teach at the Academy, Mm-hmm. In Lower Decks, the animated series that came out last year, of course, it's a comedy. So they have the characters actually use those moves as if it is. That's just Starfleet standard. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, um, I mean, and it's fun. It's like, oh, my God, that's like Kirk's move. We're not saying that he never necessarily developed it. That would be ridiculous. But if he... <laughs> if he, if he we call it Kirk Fu. But still, let's say this is... Does this work as a, even though it's not a good martial art, does it seem to come from the same style? Does it seem to to have roots in something that, that previously existed that might have been taught at a military academy? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to cop out and say 50-50. I mean, as we went through that list, there's, there's about half of those things that are practical in real life. And then about half of those things that just are obviously TV like you said at the top of the episode, they didn't have a fight choreographer to work for two weeks on excellent fights. They, you know, they're cranking an episode out every week. And so they had to basically use stuntman foo, which became Kirk Fu. Uh, so overall, is this a viable martial art? Uh, let me give you a weird answer here. No, but I would say it's better than nothing. I want everybody out there to be prepared for worst case scenario. And there are some things you can use here. You know, the ear slap, the Kirk chop are both pretty valid. So I would love if everybody knew how to do those, at least, you know, to get out of a bad situation. But uh, can I recommend Kirk Fu overall? No, I'd much rather you go find your local, you know, jujitsu or karate or kung fu school that's in your in your town and, and go take those classes. <laughs> or even just a generic uh, self-defense course. Yeah, like the one I teach, combat self-defense. Absolutely. That's going to have more useful... I mean, anyway, don't try the dropkick, this is the thing. No. Don't think, oh, it works for Kirk. If I can impart anything into your audience that's actually interested in, like, perhaps learning self-defense, remember, like, the flashier it is, the better it plays on screen, usually the worse martial arts it is. Like, some of the best martial arts on that you're ever going to see in a movie are, like, from Taken. Liam Neeson in Taken uses extremely practical combat skills. And everybody loves to clown him these days, but Steven Seagal's films... He uses a lot of very practical stuff. So yeah, well, he's he's you know every interview when they asked him what do you think of this action star, this action star who has like a martial arts background or as a he's always very dismissive of them, of Van Damme, of whoever you know. Yeah, uh, like he's saying like that's for show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't really express it well. He just seems like very I don't know like a bitter rival. Yeah, kind of a turd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think he's just expressing it. Wrong. You know, yeah. I, I think what he means is that's for show. You know, like a lot of the wushu stuff from Chinese cinema, when they have competitions, it's it's very theatrical and it's mm-hmm. about the, the moves rather than getting that opponent down necessarily, you know? Absolutely. There's a whole lot of showmanship. So when, you know, when Van Damme is doing the split or whatever, that's for show. Mm-hmm. 100%. Would that work in a street fight? Would that work when your life is on the line? And uh, I think that's what he's saying, that maybe his style's more true to life. Yeah, and he's right. like I said, he, he could have packaged it better, but essentially, you're spot on. So, yeah, Kirk falls into that vein. It's fun to watch, but uh, not practical, and I definitely would recommend 
go to an authorized, uh, certified self-defense instructor school, not necessarily rely on your Kirk Fu handbook. <laughs> so my little makeshift dojo here, not not good. Uh, well, I mean, you did your best, and I appreciate the effort you put into it. You're, again, your kimono is colorful, and you look wonderful. Uh, well, but... you haven't seen my butterfly knives demonstration yet. So Oh, there's more to come. All right. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I, did we miss anything? Or were there moves that uh, you and your son like found interesting that we just didn't mention? Because no, we, we definitely hit the highlights. That jump off the wall for the human projectile is aces as far That's as his comedic value. And then, like I said, the Kirk roll. Every time we see somebody roll in a movie now, we yell, Kirk roll! Because that is like his thing. But no, I don't think we missed anything at all. Uh, although, because we used this, this video that we basically used, it was a nice compilation video of all these things. I have seen Kirk do decent, you know, just basic pugilist skills, you know, hand to hand, straight up fist fight. I've seen him use some decent. Yeah, just punching. Yeah, yeah. basic skills before. But as you and I both know, not terribly exciting on camera. I mean, unless you're then that watching that movie, They Live, where they beat the crap out of each other in the alleyway. That was pretty good. <laughs> the intensity was yes. the thing. All right. Well, thank you for all this insight. I'm very interested in fighting on screen and not fighting mm-hmm. in life. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am too, actually. I, I don't. Uh, that's why we say fight avoidance. I don't yeah. want to be in any combat, but. I want people to be ready for worst case. That's it. How about you tell people what you're working on right now? What's happening at the Longbox Crusade and where people can find you? Oh, goodness. All right. You got a good 45 minutes, so go get yourself a sandwich. You can find us over at the Longbox Crusade on a variety of different shows. If this particular show appeals to you, you might like Action Film Face-Off where my brother and I review two action films every episode that we put them head to head and see which one's the champion. So that might be up your alley. But as you know, we do comics, movies, TV shows, all kinds of stuff for a long box. So video games. Yeah. So just, just go to long box crusade and enjoy our myriad of shows or pick the ones that suit you best would be great. Uh, I personally am currently working on my next independent comic called shipwrecker with my friend, Mark Hatherley out of Bermuda. He's an amazing penciler. So more to come on that. Of course, my, First comic, Hamilton versus Burr, is still available. And I just had a story published in Alex DeCampi's compilation of True War Stories by Z2 Comics. So I am encouraging everybody to go to Z2Comics.com and order their copy of True War Stories. I have a story printed in it, and I encourage you to do it that way because Z2 is donating a significant part of their profits to combat veteran charities. So if that sounds up your alley, please go to Z2Comics.com and get true war stories and then if you see me at a convention or whatever i'll be more than happy to sign your book uh, where where my story appears and you didn't even mention like the artwork and jared does it all i do <laughs> i like to draw a book page sketch yeah i told you 45 minutes i like my favorite thing <laughs> is book page sketches where i draw characters from the books on the books i'm a big yard sale guy which is why my handles are at yard sale artist twitter facebook and instagram come find me at yard sale artist and I will find old busted books. Uh, you know, let's say I find an old busted Harry Potter book and I'll tear out pages and draw Harry Potter and his friends on the pages. And that's kind of my art thing. So, yeah, I, I'm nonstop, man. Yep. Yep. Uh, man after my own heart. So thanks again, Jared. I know you have a pawn firing Vulcan to fight. Good luck with that. Yeah. And I'll let you get back to it while I stick around for subspace transmissions. And that's Star Trek news and your feedback on our previous episode. Okay. One last thing before I go. Stealth punch. He's done. All right, I got the show from here. Let's do uh, transmissions, everybody. 
Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's Action Film Face Off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet. But it could happen, because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see the blood fly. I just said that! Sorry, Jared. Back in control. Incoming subspace transmissions. Jared and I had planned this episode well in advance, so it's not a complete coincidence that since we last spoke, William Shatner was inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. As of April 6th, now 90-year-old William Shatner takes his place in the celebrity wing of the WWE's Hall of Fame, having made a number of entertaining appearances in the ring, mostly during the 90s, and guest-hosting events through the 2000s. Unfortunately, when you look at the clips, he doesn't use Kirk Fu's trademark moves. First contact day this year was Paramount Plus's opportunity to release teaser trailers for three of their shows, Lower Decks Season 2, uh, set to start August 12th, promises a Mugato and Ambojitsu action. Uh, we also learned that the show was picked up for a third season. Discovery's fourth season, set to air in 2021, sees the crew dealing with some kind of anomaly and ditches the gray uniforms seen at the end of the third season for something more colorful, but I'm still not convinced. As for Picard Season 2, set to start in 2022, just a teaser, but it does reveal that Q will be back. 
No trailer, but Star Trek Prodigy is still set to premiere on Nickelodeon in 2021, and we have more details on Captain Janeway's role on the show. Apparently, the teen protagonists have never heard of Starfleet, so Janeway is actually a hologram that shepherds them through ship operations and whatnot. Kate Mulgrew has revealed that there was a lot of negotiation to get the hologram right because the designers initially made her too beautiful, and she didn't like it. The show apparently takes place after Nemesis sometime, same time frame as Lower Decks, but in the Delta Quadrant. The drama about the next Star Trek movie continues with reports now that J.J. Abrams is producing something super secret for... 2023 release. This is apparently the Kalinda Vasquez script we've mentioned before, but no details have been released, not even a title or which cast of characters it will star. TV Trek overseer Alex Kurtzman has made comments about the need for interconnectivity, not only between the various shows on Paramount+, Plus, but with the movies. Is it just something he's pushing for, as it's working for Disney and the MCU, or indicative of what's to come? Stay tuned. Star Trek Discovery has won a GLAAD Award for Best Drama after being nominated twice before. The GLAAD Media Awards are to recognize and honor media for their fair, accurate, and inclusive representations of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community and the issues that affect their lives. Discovery beat out such shows as Killing Eve, The Wilds, Supergirl, and The Umbrella Academy to name but a few. Speaking of Discovery, the third season is coming out on DVD and Blu-ray, and these can now be pre-ordered, with actual release sometime this summer. If one is so inclined, the soundtrack for Discovery Season 3 is already available. To the Journey, the Voyager documentary has become the most successful crowdfunded documentary in history, beating out a Frank Zappa documentary by about $125,000. Kind of stings for me, uh, but whatever. The record-breaking amount is $1,260,245, which is almost double what the same producers got for the DS9 documentary. So all stretch goals were achieved, met, um, including a $1 million surprise. The surprise is apparently new footage using the original actors, but... No more than that can be revealed until the rights negotiations have been completed. The doc will also feature Garrett Wong's onset videos, ample discussions on Voyager's controversies, and yes, they will try to give it a theatrical release, just as they did the DS9 documentary. April saw the release of Star Trek Legends, a new online role-playing game starring characters from across the entire franchise. It's by Tilting Point, the makers of Star Trek Timelines, and has a similar conceit where past, present, and future collide. The storyline is by comics writer Mike Johnson, and the game is available on Apple Arcade. According to Tilting Point, the gameplay is rooted in exploration and meaningful choices, and lets players command the USS Artemis and warp into the mysterious Nexus, a dimension where they will discover new worlds and characters from across all the various Star Trek series. When things go awry inside the Nexus, players and their crew must investigate and prevent a crisis. Gameplay includes assembling away teams, taking command of the bridge, taking part in personnel combat, and in unique events and challenges on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, much like timelines. If you wondered what Michael Dorn's cryptic tweet earlier this month was all about, it was about his lending his voice to this game. 
After Robbie McNeil and Garrett Wong gave us a Voyager podcast with the Delta Flyers, it's Gates McFadden's turn to take up the microphone and launch her own podcast. It's called Investigates, Who Do You Think You Are? And it's produced by the makers of the toys that made us. This is a limited series where McFadden invites some of her best friends from the Trek franchise and interviews them in one-on-one intimate conversations. First episode drops on May 12th. And if the teaser clip is to be believed, the guest will be LaVar Burton, who incidentally will guest host Jeopardy from July 26th to July 30th of this year. So be on the lookout for that as well. And now selection of your comments from our previous episode, Starfleet Captains, Hot or Not, starring the Hot Squad from Oh Hot Moo or Not. Well, Chris Franklin thought it was a fun show and says, not surprised by the results. I will say if you are... On a date with Picard and get in a scrape of some kind, he's probably going to have to call Kirk or Kirk Analog Riker to bail him out. But seriously, Sir Patrick wasn't named Sexiest Man Alive during the heyday of TNG for nothing. I do think the myth of Captain Kirk being a shoot-from-the-hip womanizer probably colored the panel's view of him. The myth is so persistent, even the reboot movies didn't steer clear of it and actually portrayed the character that way. Of course, I guess Chris Pine would get a pass anyway. My wife is right there with you. Would it change the panel's view if Kirk did know that he had that, that he had a son uh, he didn't help raise? Kirk's line to his son's mother in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is, I did what you asked, I stayed away. Does this make Kirk a deadbeat dad or someone who respected his former lover's wishes and disdain for his military life enough to leave her and her, their son alone? I'm glad someone finally called Janeway's original do a Gibson girl look. I always thought she looked like she needed to be in Anne of Green Gables, not Star Trek, with that hairstyle. Thank goodness they phased out the iron bun. I think the hot squad should come onto every show now and rate uh, who's hot and not. MASH, Cheers, JLU, band members on Fire and Water Records. Sounds like fun. Chris, you only have control over one of those shows? You know, let the girls know if you actually want them on JLU. Brian Linton says, unfortunately, no matter how hot a captain may be, their first love will always be their vessel or station. Thanks for another great episode, full of outsider insight. Jeff R. says, I don't know whether to commend or condemn your restraint in not including in the Janeway clip or otherwise bringing up Threshold. It just complicates matters. Nobody wants to talk about sexy salamanders, whatever they were. Diablo Frank uh, was disappointed the show couldn't cover Christopher Pike or Hikaru Sulu and struggles with his own choice of hottest. As a straight guy, he says, this one's a bit tricky for me, but I guess Picard would top my list. I keep going back to Life Force, where he's possessed by the gorgeous space vampire played by Mathilda May. Big trance energy there. Of all the captains, he just seems like the most pleasant and amenable to be around. Kirk does get a bum rap as a womanizer, but he smashed his face against so many women's that he's not not a serial kisser, at least. An attractive person who goes on a lot of dates with short-term consensual attachments. Less a Leo, more a Clooney. Cisco's my favorite captain and currently my girlfriend's, but he's pretty intense. Too much of a military man for my taste. Physiologically, Janeway's my only option, but that's way too edible for me. She's exactly my type for having a platonic mentor friendship without any sexual tension. I'd get along better with Red from Orange is the New Black. My exposure to Jonathan Archer is very limited by choice. Scott Bakula seems like a nice enough fellow, but not my idea of a starship captain. 
Uh, Mike Dana says, hearing the Hot Squad giggle at the absurdity of nerdery always makes my day, and this episode was no exception. It was interesting that all the captains got some compliments, at least. There didn't seem to be any complete knots among any of them. I thought Kirk would be a knot across the board, so color me surprised. As a fan of TNG, it was nice to hear the love for Picard. My secret shame is that I've never seen an episode of DS9, so hearing the love for Cisco, I'll have to finally watch an episode. Well, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast. If you like our content, want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. For example, for $5 a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendations list like Fleet Admiral Doug Van Diver. I remember when he was just an ensign. <laughs> Join Doug and I in the fleet at patreon.com. And as usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com on the Fire and Water Facebook page or on Twitter where we are, FW Podcast. You can also listen to the show on Spotify. Until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. <laughs>